Welcome back to another episode. I'm your host, Vincent Green. No John Tootie's missing in action. We still got Karen Mack in the back. This is Dark Side of the Moon. Let's get to it, motherfuckers. All right, folks, we're back this time. And uh, I'm not alone. I seemed like I was alone at the start. But we got a bit of a 25YL reunion going on here. Because we got Mr. Don Shanahan, the Don himself, and Will, the Tuscan Raider, Johnson. How's it going, motherfuckers? <laughs> You're a sand uh, person, Will. You're a sand person. I'll be a little Jawa then. Hey, I I don't want to be canceled by anyone for this comment, but what the fuck is this guy saying? I don't even understand the word coming out of his mouth. It all sounds like symphony to me. I'm good to go. Yeah, shit. Should I put captions on? (laughs) No, no, no. Uh, We're we're doing great. Uh, We we're we're glad to be here. when you told me anyway, the Marvel shill that we were going to be doing, uh, you know, Marvel films and you invited me. I was like, well, thank you. I can't wait to talk about some of the great masterpieces of the MCU. And then you're like, yeah, how about Iron Man two and incredible Hulk? And I was like, Oh, sounds great. Thank he you. offered me. He offered me Captain America, first Avenger. So what? Was, uh, <laughs> what? It, me it, more. Well, me and Don did have a discussion though one time about Marvel in general, and he mentioned that he. Uh, I asked him. He mentioned that he liked uh, Captain America, and then we actually had a discussion. I said, "Which one did you prefer, First Avenger or Winter Soldier?" And that's yeah. how I knew. So that's why I offered him. And Will, you said you only want to do Ant Man originally, and I wanted to get you on earlier in the run. And I want to do all the Ant Man. <laughs> yeah. Um, said, What's the, what did you make this total side note of the Quantum Mania logo? What the fuck's going on there? Uh, I'm fine with it. I mean, nothing, nothing about Ant Man should be taken seriously, so I'm, I'm okay with it. Um, and actually, I'm going to tie in some of the talk we have about Incredible Hulk into Ant Man a little bit because I do think a lot of the behind the scenes stuff in Incredible Hulk led to what would happen with Edgar Wright and Ant Man uh, personally, because based on the experience they had with the. Um, uh, I'm trying to be nice here. Uh, <laughs> complex, Norton. the complex character that is Edward Norton. So, yeah. No, this is this is a. I mean, I know it's low on most people's ranks for the MCU, but this is from a production standpoint. Since Marvel has dodged a lot of its production bullets or things ended before things shot like you know the edgar wright stories that go with ant-man are always kind of like a, oh man what what it could have should have stuff mm, but you get this wife. one but you get this one where it you know it made it through it was kind of the 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 maybe film because like they didn't know iron man was going to hit and and hold on and then edward norton you know we'll talk about that i'm sure when the show goes in where, where that all turned out but this one becomes marvel's i feel like marvel's most maligned movie you know this one really got until until eternals until eternals anyway but but they don't have like production strife bullshit they just have bad feedback from fans you know yeah and um i think as well when you look at the incredible hulk it was like it's a pivotal moment for marvel like you said 
Iron Man 1 was just it was on the back of Iron Man 1 this did not do so well in the box office it barely made double its money if anything like and like and as you said you had Edward Norton the whole production issues as well with him and him wanting to be, I think he was credited originally as a, a co-writer and then he wanted his name taken off of it afterwards because he believed his story had been changed so significantly that it wasn't really the vision he had and the, the kind of strife they had and, and I think when they look at this, uh, I think Marvel maybe is what Will alluded to with uh, Edgar Wright, is that Marvel are like, okay, we're going to tighten the reins on all the productions. We're mm -hmm. going to have more control. We're kind of going to go back to the old studio model where we control the production from A to B to C. And if you're not on board, you're gone, even if you're right. an Edgar Wright or an Ed Norton, you know? Yeah, and they've still hired talented directors along the way. I mean, Chloe Zhao counts as that with Eternals. But it, but uh, but Absolutely. you're right about control. Like, they, they will hire people with resumes that have solid stuff to them but not somebody who has like you know an established ego or an established kind of clout that yeah. says hey you know you're not going to be able to come in here and boss around like if they were to ever hire i know it's the aim into the top but if they were to hire like christopher nolan he would christopher nolan would boss in there and go okay marvel i would lo yeah i'd love to work with you love the paycheck this sounds great i'm going to want it this way i'm going to want it that way and yeah. not people who are willing to play ball and by hiring all these very talented indie or small or even kind of reclamation project directors you you get people who are willing to play ball but then still bring their chops you know they yeah, still bring some yeah. talent to the table oh yeah absolutely and, and don't ever don't ever say christopher nolan to my face again don uh, <laughs> um for, for those who don't know i'm not a very big christopher nolan person uh i'm not i'm not into that cult frankly yeah. uh, tenet was film terrible Ter tenet was terrible I didn't see Tenet. I, I didn't. And it bother. is terrible. Oh, it's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> it really inverted my opinion of Christopher Nolan. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. And to me, that's like two. That's two losses in a row because Dunkirk did nothing for me either. Yeah, I, I, Interstellar for me. I prefer Dunkirk to Interstellar because I'm. I, I love World War Two movies and World War One yeah. movies and stuff like that. So, Interstellar to me, uh, I think Dunkirk kind of set out to do something and it maybe achieved its goals a lot better than Interstellar because Interstellar to me felt like it got muddled especially with the way it was trying to convey the with the communication through the bookcase or whatever yeah the, the in, interdimensional ghost that's I, said, I, I, I said stop talking about christopher no i don't care i'm talking about it we talk about louis letier is that where we're going here the guy who started you know he like, was the kickstarter of the transporter series and that was his claim to fame like, getting into this yeah, and like that's that. the kind of talent marvel went for like you know a guy with some proven action chops something with some visual style and they're like hey we can amplify him into something bigger and brought in a brought in a talented guy i wish they would have worked with him more because i think louis i think louis does good stuff I think that what gets lost is, yeah, a lot of those phase one directors are really good directors. They're not, they may not be, I mean, you know, Kenneth Branagh is, Kenneth is a big name, but, uh, but like, yeah. but, um, you know, I mean, Favreau at the time wasn't the Favreau we have now, who's no. known as like the franchise resurrector. Uh, Leterrier <laughs> made, made great, you know, he made great little action films and uh, I wouldn't say indies, but he made, you know, lower budget, yeah. uh, fun little films. Like uh, I love, uh, I think everywhere else it's called Danny the Dog, but it's called Unleashed in America. I, I love yeah. that film. It's a great film. Um, and, you know, Kenneth Branagh was a huge Thor fan as a kid. And uh, who did you know, America? Joe Johnson. Joe, Joe Johnson. Johnson. Yeah. And he you know, was coming out of nothing too, you know, all these reclamation projects because Favreau was like Elf and Zathura. And that, and then obviously the swingers actor and a guy who did more as much acting as he did directing. But then he hit Iron Man, and he's he's never looked back to little things, yeah. you know. Uh, chef, but you know, 
nothing too much than that you, you can do a chef when you've done an ironman an ironman See, that's the thing like once yeah. you're once you got that cloud and you're making that money and you, it turns into that same cycle we've seen so many directors do like make that one big movies in order to bankroll the three things you really want to do on the side and yeah he's starting to do like star wars to him that's the crazy thing about favreau that something tells me the mandalorian is his little side hustle bought mm. for by other things like it's just such a small thing to do compared to the it's next the thing big movie isn't it the kind of thing like you can only ask for that if you've had five or six of sex like if you have a jungle book like you know what i mean you have to be really yeah. entrenched in the disney kind of world before yeah. you can say i'd like to do a western about a bounty hunter that's not Django or boba fett right. and i want to set it in the star wars universe you know what i mean so like you need to kind of have that clout and i think like if anybody has earned it it's it is a john favreau over the past i know 10 or 12 yeah. years you know and then like louis i'm looking at his filmography like he bankrolled the incredible hulk not that it was the biggest success but it was that marvel stamp of like nice job look at you make a superhero film he turned that into clash of the titans and then the now you see me magician movie in 2013 so he has mm. stayed at that plateau of making semi-decent things you know like again <laughs> both, but both count as hits like you know clash the first clash of the titans did just fine it wasn't a marvel level blockbuster but it easily made its money back and played well, well overseas and then now you see me was that classic something you would have made in the 90s like a 40 million dollar movie that made 100 and that's all you yeah. needed to do yeah but it's the box office success is not always the biggest indicator for a quality movie though you know i agree yeah because like <laughs> clash of the titans is, is huge cheese yeah and um uh so like when you look at the kind of the birth of the mcu now like this is kind of right on the eve of disney's intervention into the yeah. marvel world and it's it's like if you look at iron man one and you look at the incredible hulk stylistically they're kind of darker in their content than mm -hmm. maybe what the disney uh, mcu movies have been going forward and they're kind of more in the realm of action than they go more fant fantastical um as they go along later and like will i'm going to throw this to you because you're a big iron man fan and it's at the at the start of this do you think like you like the tone of the earlier MCU movies is like an Iron Man and Incredible Hulk and did you like them uh, the way they were or uh, can you see the difference when Disney has come in bought Marvel up afterwards in the ones like Thor, Captain America, First Avenger and on through Avengers? Well I will say that and I will answer the question I'm just going to back up just a teeny bit with it is that um, I think that a lot of these films in phase one are viewed through hindsight you know, like like for instance, my kids. I have a I have a 12 year old, and all her friends are into Marvel. And you know, my daughters watched all the films with me. I, I took them to go see Eternals, which they loved, by the way, which is I great. Like um, I loved it. Uh, yeah. And but I remember like they were having conversations in the car about the films, and they were like, "Well, all the MCU films are great except for the Incredible Hulk." And I'm like, "Well, what's wrong with the Incredible Hulk?" They're like, "Yeah, it just doesn't. It doesn't like feel like the other Marvel movies." And I think there is a disconnect where it's like. This, that was the beginning, you know, that was, I mean, mm. Iron Man 1 is very drastically different in tone and scale to Iron Man 3, you know, like it's, yeah. like the universe was just building itself. I My only issue with phase one is, um, and they couldn't help themselves, they had to do it to build this universe is I'm not, uh, th there's new ways to do origin stories. I, I think spending entire movies on origin stories is kind of a, a played concept that we don't need anymore. Like, yeah. Movies like Hellboy uh, and this film, Incredible Hulk, actually um, do a great job of kind of saying like, okay, we're not going to spend the expected 40 to 60 minutes of here is 
the origin, you know, of a character, especially when you know all the beats. That's what's kind of that was what mm-hmm. the pre MCU film. That's what really haunted them. Yeah. Is that you went in and you were like, well, I know what the first hour is going to be. Like, I, I want something different. Now, you can overcome that with Iron Man, like with a compelling person like Robert Downey Jr. Like, when you're like, I don't mind going on that journey. Um, and Captain America is okay because not only is Chris Evans charming, but the setting is is kind of a character in itself as well. Um, you know, uh, so, but, you know, that's why I don't think the amazing Spider-Man films and Garfield work because the first film, you're like, I know every beat of this story. Why am I watching? Yeah, stop yeah. kidding, Ben so, Barker. <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's kind of, uh, so to answer your question, like, I like it because in hindsight, and, and I don't have a problem with formula because mm-hmm. formula is how we've structured a lot of our stuff. I have, if it's a good formula, why fix it if it's broke? Right. Uh, if it's not broke. But um, I do like sometimes when I rewatched all these with my daughter, like I said, hey, let's start with Iron Man. Um, it is kind of almost refreshing to see that there is a little bit of a different a little bit of a different taste in there. It's kind of like watching uh, a good a good example I'll give you is um, Star Trek The Next Generation, one of my favorite shows, okay? Uh, the first two seasons are not the best quality-wise, but they do have a distinctive characteristic to them that makes them very different from when they found their groove and made seasons three through seven of Star Trek TNG are excellent. They're great storytelling, and they have a formula that works. Um, it makes those earlier seasons kind of a little weird, like a little redheaded stepchildy. Doesn't mean they're not good. It just means that they're a little different. They're different, yeah. And uh, and that's okay because, and I think that's a great example to look at. It's like there's nothing wrong with formula. I think one of the big complaints about the MCU now, and and which makes no sense in in regards to the Eternals criticism, is everyone's just like, well, it's all the same. And then it's like we make Eternals, which is very different. And they go, oh, well, we don't want that though. wait a minute minute. you wanted something different we gave you something different so yeah and and i also think that because the mcu is so ubiquitous in society now um people aren't they're automatically going to the formula instead of seeing the little details Mm. like especially phase two I mean, you had your street level heroes, you had your big universe stuff. I mean, you had Guardians of the Galaxy and Ant-Man in the same uh, in the same phase. And you couldn't be further apart in terms of right. what's going on in those films. And then you have something like Winter Soldier, which kind of th- has this throwback 70s style. And then you've got, let's, let's move ahead to uh, something like Thor Ragnarok, which is clearly a very Kirby-inspired uh, you know, design. it's almost a comedy more than anything mm-hmm. else. Um, I don't think the MCU gets the benefit of the doubt that they have individual films. Yeah. Like, it, mm-hmm. it's everyone just says, oh, they're all the same. And it's like, well, that's not true. And, and going to this, back to Incredible Hulk, is one of those ones where when you watch it, you're kind of like, wow, this is a kind of a grittier mid-2000s. It has that mid-2000s mm-hmm. uh, uh, born identity kind of feel to it where it's, it's very gritty. The action is is um a little bit more realistic uh you know the, the, there's a whole sequence in uh, i think it's is he in brazil i can't remember yeah and he's he's running through the slums and it's mm-hmm. it's very kinetic and very well as well yeah it's yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's just it's, you know i i think that when people look at it i think people are looking at it now and saying well yeah compared to the, what they found in the formula like I said, I would rather sit down and watch probably a season three or four TNG episode than a one and two doesn't take the value away from it. And I think people, yeah. I think we're in this weird pattern where it's like, okay, 
the MCU is all the same. And then when you go back and you talk about how they actually are different in the beginning, it's like, well, th that those suck though. And then when you try to make a change now, it's like, well, that sucks too. So it's like, you can't win. No one can win in this argument. It's, it's yeah. I like this one because this is exactly what they should have done with something like Spider-Man. Like the incredible Hulk is one of those thanks to the old TV show and enough cartoon iterations and the popularity of that big green guy. This is one of those characters you don't need an origin story for. And, and, and it, you don't, yeah. Like you could just jump right in and be like, all right, the Hulk exists. It's an issue. Here we go. And this movie does a great job of not uh, little beats here, little beats there of like, just, you know, and we're talking about just what has been in the past. And obviously the, that eternal quest of trying to cure himself where that, that kind of gives you shadows backwards to what most people know, which is the old Bill Bixby, Lou referring no show, which was all about that, where it was the fugitive, where it's, it's the, yeah, it might be freak of the week and adventure of the week and town of the week and that old TV show, but it was that, that overarching thing of, I don't want this and I want to get rid of it. This isn't fun. And you have Edward Norton going there with that. And it's, it's super helpful. And you don't, you know, there's no origin story in this one. You can just go. Um, and other than the globe trotting idea of him on the run in Brazil at that time, this isn't this isn't a huge mega global catastrophe massive world saving movie this is street level hulk movie and and that's the cool thing too because that's that's another vibe that people understand from the old tv shows that was a super street level show as well so it, it, and and the the fun part there is like you have at the time and i still think now when you think about it like you have your biggest strongest most amazing world dominating character if you want it to be be just a street level guy trying to cure himself in brazil trying to get back to his old college and just connect with his girl and the the, the simplicity of this looking back and will's right when you look back at this movie this movie is almost slight when you think about how big everything had to be when it turned you know when it got to the action stakes or the villain stakes and you don't have that here you have you have a mad military guy who's a father-in-law if you want to think of it in terms of where bruce and betty are just trying to chase that you know chase a mistake down and that's a very small story compared to shit's going down when's the hulk going to get here to save the day and it's yeah. never about that and i i dig this movie a lot it's it's not one of the bottom five marvel movies for me because it, it because it goes away from what became formula that followed and uh i think net i think i know that we're gonna probably get to this in larger paragraphs but i know norton was kind of aligned in what he did but i i admire what he's going for because i you could kind of tell from the production stories that he wanted something darker and, and more and more um more conflicted because of what this character is and and what he represents because he is he is a true menace when when pushed in the wrong way and i didn't need sunny you know i'm always angry and save the day superhero that ruffalo yeah. pulled off a couple movies later so i i super appreciate this movie and i think when you put that to what Lettier can do as a director that and i know i'm jumping ahead but like will's right you got that kind of that aughts feel of the favela stuff in brazil is a cool little wicked chase and then that fight in harlem at the end is cut and shot completely different than marvel movies that came after and that that vibe of it is something i still dig and um like you, one thing you mentioned was edward norton and um like uh like uh, just like iron man one 
and Will said when you look back at these movies you're kind of looking back in hindsight of what came afterwards and it kind of it, it not sours but it kind of does uh, change your sense of perception of how you perceive these movies looking back at them and the what ifs that are attached to them and like just like Terrence Howard was recast in Iron Man 1 Edward Norton I know is a central protagonist on like a secondary character like James Rody Rhodes but like we have Mark Ruffalo coming in um, a couple, I think it was like three or four years later with the Avengers and um, what do you think of the two like when you look at Ed Norton's portrayal would you have liked to have seen him make more Hulk movies and I know there's a rights issue because Universal or Paramount own the distribution rights of the right. Hulk and that's why there's no solo movies at the moment And yeah. but uh, they don't own the rights to in, in uh, kind of team ups so that's why he's in an Avengers or he makes an appearance in other people's movies like a Thor Ragnarok because yeah. um uh, uh, yeah so um sorry no I just one second I just got the 40 minute limit thing Okay. Uh, shit. If you um, have to take this, well, here, do a count. We're not at the first break point, are we? Uh, no, we're at twenty minutes. Okay. Then yeah, what you, how how good are you about stitching what you need to stitch when the time comes? Uh, Carol can do that, no problem. Okay. Um, yeah. So I just, just be uh, mindful of the clock when someone like if we're at we're at nine minutes now, but if someone's in the middle of something, find a stopping point before the timer goes out, right? Yeah, cool. And okay. I'll uh, I'll hit you back up. I didn't know yeah. the, the thing. I'll hit you back up with a different cool. Zoom account. So there's no. I'll, I'll do a Norton answer here. All right, cool. Go ahead. Yeah, I would. I would. I really do wish Edward Norton stuck around. And I, here's one difference between him and Ruffalo that I think is is essential. Is I never got the vibe from Ruffalo later that that torture was really set in in terms of like the anger issues that becomes you know that's kind of the spine of the hulk but then also the torture and the conflict like ruffalo was always still kind of the smart guy in the background played the introverted guy who was you know trying to keep himself calm and like i made the joke about his line of i'm always angry and i don't mind that i think you can have a hulk that is at that point when you have ruffalo in the avengers and he's a veteran hulk so to speak and he's been at mm. this for a long time and he's gone through everything he's gone through to try to figure himself out and he and this movie and all the efforts to kind of bring the, you know the team together is i it's not unfathomable for me that you get a bruce banner who can turn it on and turn it off and i don't think that's a super big you know hang up i think some comic book fans saw that moment and go wait he can't do that i'm like yeah he could if he wants to but for norton i like the the unpredictability and the you didn't know or he had to really be mindful and careful about how things would set him off and it wasn't as easy as flicking a switch and the ruffle that we that we've gotten since then especially this smart version of ruffalo here at the end where it's just a waste of a great character i i know hulk hulk. Ha- yeah i know professor hulk stuff like i know mm-hmm. we've had that iteration of the character in the comics and it works but at the same time i just want my ass kicking hulk and norton to me when push comes to shove plays that torture better is a better actor than mark ruffalo mark ruffalo is a very good actor but man edward norton's on another level and when you bring that kind of talent and that kind of guy who can play that conflict into a movie I, and I know he's a pain in the ass on the set, and he, this is not the first movie he's been a pain in the ass on the set for. I, I do wish he would have stayed around. I think you'd get a completely different tone and vibe out of that. And even when you start to see, at the same time, though, I, I admit that it might not have worked with what they made since. Like, I don't think the Edward Norton Hulk is doing the Black Widow love, you know, minor romance angle. I don't yeah. know if that would play. Um, in terms of like, 
the world not not world war hulk but the planet hulk half-assed version we got in ragnarok which is such a misting but i know we can't make solo movies because world war hulk what the hell is happening around what the hell is going on i know professor hulk so yeah. what the fuck is wrong with you all right never mind no 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 but like <laughs> I, I mean i like professor hulk where it can fit and go and obviously you need some science at the end to save the day and get to the end of the whole arc and journey and all that stuff like that but i mean we're gonna watch him coming up here in she hulk and it's just gonna be like wait you're still the nerdy dork that's just tall and big for the sake of being tall and big it's just not necessarily true that's not necessarily true uh, i would love i would love for him to revert no like, he already <laughs> has though that's the thing shang chi he has well, reverted. We don't well, know why. Real. Yeah. Oh, has. Oh, I guess he's. Rever- we'll see where this goes. But that's what I'm saying. I, we don't know. Yeah. There might be something going on there because. Yeah. But I, I wanted. But like, if we were to ever get to, my dream was World War Hulk. Like, get a big established MCU and then have Edward Norton fucking snap, and that'd be fantastic. I would more believably yeah. see Norton snap than I would see Ruffalo snap. So. See, I'm gonna I'm gonna go the comic uh, route with you too because that. To me, the World War Hulk was a really, okay, if we're going to talk about like, you know, money grubbing, like, you know, appeals in the most common denominator thing. Like yeah. I read Planet Hulk when it came out and that was so freaking good. That that series was so good. Mm-hmm. And then all, some of the offshoots that the comics had, and then it went right into World War Hulk and the idea is interesting, but it was so dumb. Like just the way that they like, they they couldn't figure out a way to make the stakes actually valuable. You know, they yeah. can't kill anybody in the comics, so it didn't really have any impact. So uh, to me, like Planet Hulk to War War Hulk, like War War Hulk was a major step down. So when you say you would rather yeah. have that, I'd rather have Norton do it than Ruffalo do it. Oh, I'll I see, like I that. see, I see. Now, I while I immensely disagree with you that um, okay. Tim, uh, that I almost said Timothy Dalton, uh, that uh, <laughs> Edward Norton is a better actor than Mark Ruffalo, which I cannot agree with in any way. Um, I think I think Edward Norton is uh, very good at a type of role. Uh, he's he's excellent at a type of role. I do not see the chameleon-like uh, subversion of role. Not subversion. Uh, the um, the way roles take over Mark Ruffalo. Like I can I can re- I can rely on Mark Ruffalo to play almost anything. I can't do that with Norton. So I can't agree with that. Um, like I would trust Ruffalo and, and way more stuff than I could with Norton. That said, I do like his Hulk. Um, yeah, where they ended up going with it, uh, di- uh, you know, Norton would not fit. And that's another hindsight argument, I think. Mm-hmm. Would I like to have seen it? Sure. Um, but Ruffalo is such perfect casting, and that's who Leterrier wanted before Norton anyway. So he was the first choice all along, and he is kind of my Hulk. Uh, but there's, I'm not part of this like you know, internet thing where everyone's just like, well, Ruffalo is better, so you know, screw Edward Norton. Edward Norton did a great job, and actually, yeah, I agree with you. He is a pain in the ass, but reading what he did go through on Incredible Hulk and what he wanted to do, I actually have a lot of respect for him hmm. uh, in terms of some of the things he was trying to do. Um, I mean, but the prop, the problem with him is he has a history of doing this, where like he gets some kind of control over a script or something and then wants to take over the entire production. So that's, that is the problem. And so I remember that happened with uh, Frida 
Mm-hmm. You know, he had a minor role in Frida as Rockefeller, I think. And yeah. uh, you know, next thing you know, pushy. Yeah. Next thing you know, he's trying to rewrite the whole script, and 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 this is Salma Hayek's baby. You know, and it was like, no, 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 no go away. So same thing here, and I think Marvel learned that lesson, and they were kind of like, hey, you know, we've got a plan, and good for them that they had a plan because the plan is awesome. Um, but yeah, it, as Vinny was saying, it's like once Edgar Wright started saying like, well, this is what I'm going to do, they were like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. We've already dealt with Edward Norton. We're not going to deal with another, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, what about yeah. you, Vinny? Are you a Ruffalo guy or a Norton guy? Um, I'm a, a Ruffalo guy. Just uh, I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that Ruffalo is a better actor than Norton because Norton has probably had a more, more of a chance over the course of his career to show more layers of his acting abilities than Ruffalo. Even though Ruffalo has been in varied roles, but look, if uh, Ed Norton, you got Primal Fear, American History X. He's, he's got some really, really meaty parts that he was the central mm-hmm. protagonist or antagonist, whatever we want to look at. But um, and he's shown true. And he's done that for a longer period of time than Mark Ruffalo has. And Mark Ruffalo has had a bit of a kind of a second kind of coming in the last 10 years. And he's kind of hit the more mainstream with the MCU movies. And he was amazing in movies like uh, Collateral and in Spotlight and stuff like that. So he's a fantastic character actor. Um, I just think Edward Norton may be slightly better actor, but I prefer Mark Ruffalo's portrayal of Bruce Banner more. That's and a good middle that, ground right there. Not yeah, bad. I think I, I think that's where it is for me. But um, you should be on cinephile hissy fit. I mean, <laughs> well, here we uh, go. So we were talking about um, uh, Edward Norton and Mark Ruffalo and who we thought was better in terms of like as an actor or the portrayal of you know Bruce Banner. But like uh, one thing we uh, we spoke a little bit about when we touched on throughout the conversation is uh, Edgar Wright and like everybody knows about Edgar Wright's story. I know just a little bit of an offside topic, but I want to l- look at that as in the way of Mark would have asserted their control more over their projects going out through the, the different phases whether or not be that to be the detriment or to you know to the to benefit of the movies going forward but like Edgar Wright he was kind of stuck in like he did seven years he developed um, Ant-Man and then when it looked like it was about to be made uh, Marvel and him kind of you know ran, ran into each other and they were like Edgar Wright was like I want to make it this way and Marvel were like no this is the marvel way now and i was like it's all connected we're doing a serialized thing and i think which might have lent to them actually hire more and more tv based directors because the mcu is kind of like one big tv series except each episode is two hours long you know and um what do you think uh, do you think it's been to the benefit or do you think it's been to the detriment of the mcu going forward that they've uh, had more control over the narrative and uh, the style and tone of the movies in the mcu well, I'll I'll get in on this because I think that uh, I think the Edgar Wright thing, and I have kind of a weird relationship with Edgar Wright myself, which I won't go into at the moment. But um, <laughs> I think I, I think no, please that, do tell us. Yeah, this sounds great. Are you Snapchat friends? I, mean, I, I, I will. I will. He's yeah. with my wife. Uh, no, um, <laughs> yeah. it was uh, a quadrilania. Uh, <laughs> here, here's here's the thing. I think that um, this was the birth of the discourse that plagues us today. I think that without any nuance, a lot of quote unquote film people, you know, who are about the purity of art and cinema, you know, they look at that and they say, oh, that's clearly the conglomerate and the business taking over for the artist, which I do not think was the case. I think this is a classic example of creative differences. We all hear that. And sometimes that's a loaded phrase, which sometimes mean, hey, you're an asshole and I don't like you. But I think this is definitely the case. This is a this is a true. This wasn't like Disney saying, "Oh yeah, we want to sell more toys, so we're going to get somebody else." That's not the case because I guarantee you, if Edgar Wright made it, man, they'd find a way to sell and toys. That's just the way it goes. Um, 
I think it's a true creative differences. Mar uh, Edgar Wright wanted to make a solo one-off Ant-Man film, his own thing, which is totally fine. Um, and I, I totally respect that, but that was not in the vision of what Marvel wanted to do. Marvel wants to do it like the comic books, which is uh, some arguments I've heard, you know, people are like, well, is it anything like the comics? And, and to me, it's like the comics are more than just visual. It's, it's a narrative. And 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 Kevin Feige, who I think is above board in terms of his artistic developments, it's not a money grubbing thing. I think he was like, no, no, no. I want this. I want Ant Man to be able to be in other films. I want him to continue on. I want this to be this this Marvel Cinematic Universe that's connected, just like the comics are. Um, so I, I I honestly find no issues with that. I mean, maybe you know he was treated harshly. I don't know. I mean, it still seems like they gave him credit for. They gave him a producing credit. They still gave him the writing credits for what he did write and they took in. It's not like they just, you know, uh, snapped him off the planet, you know, like right. he had a say still and they were appreciative of it. Um, I also think that, uh, you know, my Edgar Wright thing is that I feel like when he was kind of like the underdog, he was the perfect director for a Marvel film. Mm -hmm. You know, he kind of made these um, kind of punky, uh, you know, subversive kind of films that uh, played on genre expectations. I mean, I love, I, I don't love Shaun of the Dead. I, I like it a lot. I love Hot Fuzz. I think Hot Fuzz is a brilliant satire of like Lethal Weapon and cop films. Mm -hmm. And Scott Pilgrim is a great comic book film. I think it's a very good film, a uh, very fun and uh, interesting. Um, I think what happened was as a, I don't know if it's a result of this, you know, cause he's entering the big studio system. But for me, it's like, whenever you see an Edgar Wright film um, advertised now, it's it's like from the staggering genius of Edgar Wright. You know, like, yeah. and it's it's kind of like, well, yeah, he's fine. He's, he's a, to me, he's a genre director mm -hmm. that makes interesting, he has his own cinematic language, but like, I think that if people fed into the Disney's a conglomerate just trying to make money and they screwed an artist. I also think the Edgar Wright camp started buying into the fact that he's this brilliant auteur. Mm -hmm. And so I think he's used it to his advantage just as much as maybe Disney has. So I have yeah. issues with it on that level because yeah, like I haven't seen uh, the Soho movie yet uh, because I, like I said, I can't, I can't stand, I can't stand that type of, you know, like I said, from, from the genius of, Edgar Wright, like, you know, an uncompromising vision, you know, it's like, just, just show me the movie. Like, I don't need, you know, any of that crap. So it's actually put me off of the films, a little, his films a little bit. So I guess I side with Marvel more on this one. I don't know. But I, I admit that I side in that direction too, because I didn't know this is a shitty analogy, but like the whole bigger fish to fry thing matters. Like they, you have, and I think that's also, Kevin Feige. Well, here, the easiest way to see that they're right is when you look at every attempt of everything else in other places. The, the unified vision keeps that stuff stable and from ever really wobbling out of control. Because when you do the whole, look, I hate to keep doing this, but look, look at Warner Brothers in DC. Like, you know, they they were you know, Nolan made his three Batman movies very independent of himself. You know, you could tell, or very independent of studio and bigger universe building of any kind of any kind 
And then they retained him as a producer and kind of a shot caller for bringing in Zack Snyder. Now, Zack Snyder, same kind of guy. Like, if there's a guy who can make a comic book movie just in terms of chops and skills, that's Zack. I mean, Watchmen's very, very good, and he makes things that are just visually dazzling. I mean, nothing looks like a Zack Snyder film. Mm. And But the hard part is, like, once you bring, you know, once you bring Zack in, unless somebody's there to rein him in, and that's supposed to be Kevin Feige, you know, or in this case, Christopher Nolan, or is it bigger than that? Is it, uh, was it supposed to be Jeff Johns, you know, the, you know, the, the comic guy coming down to the studio department in Warner brothers from the, you know, from the paper end, whatever it was, it didn't happen because they're either, either they didn't sit down as a big squad and make that blueprint that says, Hey, we can bring in all this great talent. We can expand all these characters and this sort of thing, but it has to be under this control and this path or it all falls apart because it's too tangential and too crazy because by the time Snyder doubles down with justice league and by the time James Wan shows up and, and, um, and Patty Jenkins shows up, you, you brought in good directors to kind of resurrect and do something different where now you have this thing that doesn't match and you ask yourself, well, who the hell is in charge? Cause it, at one point it's you know people say oh Zack Snyder he's still the producer on the Wonder Woman movies or oh it, you know no one kind of walked away after Man of Steel the first one which was just getting it off the ground and he said all right you guys are good good luck or is it anybody at the studio level who's got the balls to kind of be like no rein it in and I that's why Kevin Feige will remain the MVP of this whole thing because he is one bankrolling it and, and controlling the checks and keeping things in pace and two we all hear about that creative roundtable of kind of that that inner circle of people that he brings in that favreau's on that james gunn used to be on that they've got a tight-knit crew of people and they still talk to joe quesada and the folks over at marvel to make sure that things are tip-top and good that they've the easiest way to say it is they've they've done their homework to for the long for the long call the the, the long game and the just the extended planning and i think that's worth retaining i think that's worth going hey love your work edgar love your work louis or love your work whatever director stayed or didn't stay and be like we have a bigger thing going on than just you if you want to be part of it great but and we'll bring you in if you prove yourselves to kind of be not to necessarily play ball and do it our way but just you know understand the bigger picture and you i think you've met a lot i think we've all seen enough directors that they're one movie at a time kind of people they do they, they don't see big picture or their big picture is just so theirs and grandiose that it isn't ours or isn't theirs or isn't something that could be shared and translated by other people and that's the difference between a Zack snyder who's as visually adept as edgar wright but you you look at scope or handle and you got one guy who's very controlled and one guy who's not. You can say the same thing about Michael Bay. You can say the same thing about Terrence Dan Malick. Now, neither one of those guys are going to build a universe, but the idea is... Here we go. So No, but the idea is, <laughs> the idea is reining it in, you know? And I think that's a good producer's job. They've, well, they've, yeah. they've, they've got lucky with Kevin Feige. Because before that, you look at Avi Arid, who did the Spider-Man stuff. And, and held Marvel together through those bankruptcy years from 95 to 05. And, and hey, he, he deserves more credit for holding it together. But you got those X-Men movies that that got out of control when like Brett Ratner showed up and fucked around. <laughs> you got those Spider-Man movies that were, that were really good until the studio kind of said, Hey, let's sugar pack, you know, three villains into one movie for Spider-Man three and fuck it all up. Like Sam Raimi had a good thing. And then you come in and make it bigger than it needs to be. So, and that's Avi Arred. like, Hey man, you're the producer here reigning in and no one did. So. 
and, I, and I'll expand on that in two ways. Um, I agree with you 100% because Kevin Feige also learned from his mistakes because I think that that Zack Snyder thing where he, it's his voice controlling the universe and then when you try to diverge from it, it makes no coherent sense. That was that was the way the Avengers were going because... Yeah, Joss I'm came a, in. Mm-hmm. I'm not a huge Joss Whedon guy. I, I have problems with the first two Avengers films and I think they realized when Avengers Age of Ultron was not like this huge success like the first Avengers was, they realized, okay, we need to get, like you said, more of a creative vision and, and and this has created some discourse like you said about you know i don't want to call them company men because i think they're very talented directors on their own but you know the russos were wanted to play ball and they said yeah we'll do whatever you want and they were able to put their stamp on their own thing but they also took control and let the studio guide them mm-hmm. and once again that's there's another argument about there uh, out there about how you know the russo brothers are just a bunch of studio hacks and it's like, well, first of all, you know, I mean, that's how films were made in the golden age, you know, they were studio hacks, you know, whatever. Oh, yeah. But Contract also track players, all that, yeah. But also like you found talented, visually interesting directors who would comply with the vision. And and I get that. I don't see that as a negative. Many people see that as the death of art because it's saying that, like, well, you know, I, I'm hearing a lot of stuff now about how you know, Marvel is going to tamp down Sam Raimi in Multiverse of Madness. Like the movie's going to come out, it's going to look just like anything else. And that's where I think this this discourse is so wrong because you look at Kenneth Branagh with Thor, uh, you look at these phase one films, they all have kind of a distinctive trademark of their directors. Um, you know, the Russo's just kind of mainstreamed it a little bit more, but you know, you still get Taika Waititi making his own film. You still get James Gunn making his own film. You still get Ryan Coogler making his own film. You still get Chloe Zhao making whatever she wants. Like, it's just such a weird argument. And and it, it makes more sense when you see it fail. And, and it's like, it's like if you fail, like DC, or not a total failure, but a failure, you know, people are like, well, see, it can't work. Like with, they'll be like, well, you can't be a single person's vision or it can't be the individual director, but then MCU does it perfectly. And it's like, well, it's, it's a, it's a art is being compromised because no one has a vision. It's like, well, pick one. Like, you know what I mean? Like it's either a disaster because it is one person's vision only, or it's, it's a success. You know, it's like, it's like damned if you do, damned if you don't. Well, I think the other thing is like, heaven forbid you get people who can, actually put some egos aside and share Mm -hmm. the shared vision is a lost art in this business where everyone's out to get theirs Mm -hmm. in a different situation yeah this is michael bay going i'm gonna i'm gonna get mine you know Uh, yeah hasbro yeah i like transformers but i'm gonna get mine paramount that's great my name's on the top of the poster there's people who have egos where that guy wouldn't take a studio note if, if it killed him but you know so you have people where you just get a collaborative space and whatever patience they're doing from the blueprint level is enough to make people not necessarily play. I, I see you're right. There's that, there's that damned if you do damned if you don't, because one person's playing ball is another person's wonderful collaboration where, Hey, it's kind of nice to have some help. It's nice to come in and have something that is put together and taken care of where I don't have to juggle and, you know, hold anybody else's hand. It's been taken care of because how many other productions do we see where a director has got a great idea or some actors and you've got a great assembly of things, but then no one's steering the boat ahead of them and it, it fails where you've got that. You've got a steady ship captain who's just asking each little deck and department, to knock it out 
and and then and probably and i think it's gotten to the point where you could tell it's now a hiring process thing where they just vet they don't just take a hot name and, and you could say chloe zhao coming off of no man land probably counts as a hot hire in a way of a that's for industry cred but chloe zhao also probably knows that she doesn't sit down into that movie and into that room without a vision of her own or or even just a compromise of like i'm coming here to make this and you're going to get kind of a little bit of me and then marvel has to at, at this point know hey we're bringing in chloe zhao it's going to have to there's the flexibility and collaboration senses just don't have ego here and the cool part yeah. about zhao is everyone you know every cinephile and hardcore you know film person's like oh she must have been just gun barrel to her head making that movie every interview you hear with her says she had a blast and yeah, she, cool on her you know yeah and kevin feige to his credit i mean he hired her to do this before no man land was a thing so i mean it's just good it's just good coincidence that suddenly she's this three-time oscar winner yeah you know that's doing it but and but yeah you mentioned that it's funny because i've been hearing a lot about a lot about that about black widow where it's like they got Kate Shortland, an indie director, mm-hmm. and uh, they'll say that, like, oh, you can tell when the second unit takes over and directs all the action, she just directs the character beats. And it's like, well, first of all, she's never complained about that. And second, like, that is uh, that is the essence. Like, how do you think movies are made? The direct, mm-hmm. like, Lord of the Rings, which I think is a masterpiece. Like, when you watch those behind-the-scenes documentaries, like, if, if Peter Jackson didn't have like six other directors working on six different units at the same time when they had the same vision and he's basically telling them, this is what I want, but I trust you. Yeah. Like, of course, like Kate Shortland's not gonna, is not gonna be like on the ground, you know, setting up uh, wire stunts or, uh, you know, cars exploding. Like no one does that. Maybe Michael Bay does that, but yeah. like, you don't think that any other director just uses their technical experts to do those kind of scenes. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Surround like, yourself with good people. Yeah. yeah so, I, so I just, I, I think it's funny when people say that, that's like, Oh, you can tell like she has no control over her action other over the action. It's, it's clearly that she's just there for the character beats mm-hmm. and to have a name. And it's like, no, no, no. Like it's not how movies work, man. Like <laughs> it's just, it's since it's so popular, it's under the microscope of, you know, it, it just gets under the microscope more, you know? Mm-hmm. When you look at the MCU, like um, like where we looked at there, you can see that they have a plan. Everything's interconnected. Uh, maybe that's why they brought on team, like more independent directors when they play a ball or maybe like to collaborate or to bring in TV directors because they're used to the more serialized uh, nature of like telling a chapter of a longer story because that happens all the time on TV. But like all of that shows that Marvel are great at planning ahead. They always release their slates two, three years in advance. But one thing that can be kind of levied to Marvel over the, the 20 odd movies that they've done the MCU is that their villains uh, themselves seem to be a little bit undercooked. And something we I talked agree. about all fire about the deviants, but in this one in particular, I thought the villain was actually relatively strong for a Marvel movie when Emil Blonsky played by Tim Roth. And what do you two think? Um, either one of you can take this first, but which, which one of you, or what did you think of uh, Tim Roth's uh, portrayal of Emil Blonsky? And what do you think of him compared to Marvel villains uh, going on? And do you think they have like become more undercooked as the MCU has progressed? Well, I mean, I think he's fantastic because he's Tim Roth, for one. Mm-hmm. I think Tim Roth can do a lot of great things. Uh, for instance, I think he is... Um, the abysmal, abysmal Planet of the Apes remake by Tim Burton. <laughs> the one thing that saves that movie yeah. is Tim Roth. He's so freaking good. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he can elevate any project. And uh, what I like about it is um, when we talk about undercooked villains, I actually think that 
um, and this goes to the credit of st- sticking with the comics. You know, like in the comics, no one really dies, and they're always around forever, and they always can reinvent themselves. And I think we're starting to see there's really this cool thing going on with Marvel where we're starting to see like the ancillary characters are starting to play a part like Spider-Man uh, far from home. Like we, there was like some dude who showed up in Iron Man is, you know, like in the box of scraps scene, you know, so <laughs> he, he plays a role. And then you find out that, uh, you know, Jake Gyllenhaal's character gets kind of screwed over by Tony Stark in the background. And, and now we're seeing Abomination is going to be coming back. He's in some kind of weird, it's like he's him and Wong are doing some kind of like, thing off the books where they're like fighting yeah. but like wrestling like it's fake but yeah so i i think this is one of the rare ones i think we were talking off off screen about this but yeah there's a couple characters that will come about like an ironmonger a yellow jacket ronan the accuser uh you know something like that where whatever his name malakath and for the dark world it's in doctor strange yeah, yeah there's like, someone who does where you'll kind of be like okay fine like that's just kind of how they had to get it through um yeah, that has definitely been some of the flaws of the earlier ones. This one, as a comic book reader, and maybe Don and Vinny can agree with me on this, is when they didn't kill him, I was kind of like, okay. Yeah. I mean, who knows? Now, now mm-hmm. I didn't expect that I'd have to wait 13 years to cause <laughs> you to get him. Yeah. But, yeah. But the fact that he was alive in a comic book universe, mm-hmm. that left the door open. And he's yeah. going to be back. He's, he's obviously back in Shang-Chi in a cameo. And he's going to be in the She-Hulk series. So uh, he was also in one. He wasn't in, but he was mentioned in one of the one shots that Marvel did. Marvel did a bunch of one shots, which I thought were really fun. Um, they oh, were the talking conversation. about the conversation. Yes. And he was mentioned there. And that kind of gave the universe a little bit of uh, complexity, too. So mm-hmm. um, I've, I enjoyed that. I think uh, on a physical level, Tim Roth has got like this. He has this ability. We've seen it all in, in many of his films, including like Reservoir Dogs, where he has this ability to just look like. There's a couple scenes before he gets I'm all jacked. Here, man. <laughs> yeah, he just, yeah, he just looks so awful. Like he looks like yeah. he like he looks like what they've injected into him is like really kicking the shit out of him. And like mm-hmm. you know, that's that's something that I think we forget. You know, a lot sometimes these villains just are automatically powerful, or they, you know, they uh, like we'll talk about Ronan. Like he gets the Infinity Stone. And he's just like, oh, I got it. And I'm, I'm good now. You know, like, there's, no, there's no suffering or anything. And I think with Emil Blonsky, you get like some of that trauma of like your body changing and your mm-hmm. your your mind changing. And everything. Would, you so say, I would you say this yeah. movie nearly serves better as an abomination origin story than it does an Incredible Hulk origin story? I well, here's the next thing about villains is you got Ross in here, which is helping a ton. Where, and you know, if you're having if you're having Tim Roth do the, the 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 physicality end of the villain parts, and obviously still the twisted soldier end of things, and mm-hmm. and even his, you know, as the you know as the you know number one mercenary you can hire, and you and you watch forty something year old Tim Roth kind of roll off whatever the C one thirty Hercules that he shows up in, like that guy is the you expect like <laughs> Joe Magniello, you somebody from like Magic Mike to come walking out here as the number one mercenary in the world, but it's him. But Tim Roth, Tim Roth sells it. No, what I think helps a lot is the is that government moral side of it from from yeah from William Hurt doing Ross, and you know he's 
I think he's given more to do than uh, Sam Elliott was given back in the all, you know, the Ang Lee Hulk, where he's just there to be a mustache. And don't get me wrong, it's it's Sam Elliott. It's great. Let's bring the stash, my man. <laughs> but uh, but Hurt Hurt does it really good here, and it it really does help. Uh, and it looked like it was a lost cause for a minute there too, like to have him come back. All these you know these films later were like same thing about a villain. Like he had his moments. He fucked up. And he blew it, almost costing his daughter and his, you know, and Bruce and all that. But like he, you know, in true comic book fashion, he's been able to clean it up and rise, like to be Secretary of State and now whatever UN ambassador he is. And then the next general, this, the next general, that where he's always going to be a puppeteer. And I really hope for movie sakes, isn't he the Red Hulk? Yeah. Like in the comics. Like I hope they don't go there. Like just let Ross be that that government figure that's just hanging there always you know i know you guys and you guys are going to fuck this up you know that's, that's more kevin feige's smartness too because when it's civil, when civil war like you can kind of tell they were kind of like well the incredible hulk is kind of our weird stepchild yeah. of this of this franchise we've built yeah. but they still pay respect to it by throwing ross in there like yeah. when he shows up in civil war i'm like oh yeah like you know people forget like when my daughter was watching it she's like oh that's the guy from hulk i'm like yeah that that helps that, that little things like that yeah. help solidify the complexity of your universe you know and, and, that, and that's cool and i like that they have that in there he's in black widow as well he's in uh civil war uh you know so i i like that that stuff is in there and plus i mean it's you know it's you, got a great, you got a great actor like yeah. use that you know and he's a great foil because he's got that great I'm kind of, I'm kind of pissed off at you, but I can do my cool thing, you know, like, yeah, 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 I love, we love William Hurt and um, he's great. So yeah, no, that's another, that to me is another Feige move. It's like, Hey, we want to keep it in the universe. We know that people have to take a giant uh, people in the, which shocking that they recovered from this. A lot of film franchises would not, but there are two major recasts in the first three MCU films. Um, you got Terrence Terrence Howard and Edward Norton are replaced within the first couple films and they have found a way to um, incorporate them and I think I actually wanted to third no no I just meant that you had you had um, you had Rhodey as uh, Terrence Howard in the first one and then you had Don Cheadle in the second one and then you You had Howard Norton what's the third recast you're talking about no no I was just saying in within the first three movies of introduced characters they already got two of them so um but yeah i, I just think it's another great move uh, but i wanted to ask Vinny about this what do you guys think and i know we're not we're i, I promise this is about the incredible hulk this is what we're supposed to be on and but um, open discussion incredible hook is the bonus yeah, you know yeah what 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 do you think about um what if kind of retconning ruffalo in i hate that to, uh, it feels a little weird, doesn't it? It does. It's a parallel universe, so maybe Mark Ruffalo was the Hulk back then. <laughs> yeah. When you're playing it like that, that's true. Like, and that's the cheat you can do. So, mm. uh, yeah. I, I, I think um, one thing I, I don't enjoy about the MCU is that like I'm a big horror fan. I'm a big creature feature fan. And I feel that Marvel um, have a, a tendency to nerf their big creatures. And like, if you look at the Incredible Hulk, because he's gone on himself, he's can become nerfed by. Look, I, I waited 13 years, like you said, well, like to see Abomination come back, and I didn't want him to be Wong's pet. 
You know what I mean? I wanted him tearing up cities again. I wanted him fucking shit up. I wanted him to appear as a proper antagonist that was uh, unleashed maybe by Thanos even in Infinity War or something, mm-hmm. or even in Endgame. He like you have that kind of weapon. Like he's a, he's like a nuclear bomb. So you're supposed yeah. to actually like a nuclear bomb. He can nerf. I'm sure you can disarm a nuclear bomb. But if you have a nuclear bomb you, you, in a movie, you kind of want to see the bomb go off. You know what I mean? I just think that is the way that Marvel have progressed, that they have this habit of nerfing uh, their their creatures or their monsters. And kind of like, I think that might be Disney's influence as the movies have gone along. And I like to see the monsters to be a bit more ferocious. You know what I mean? Like we touched I, on I'm with you. So yeah, I, I still think, I still don't even quite understand in the context of the MCU what Loki's powers are. Like I still <laughs> agreed. Yeah. Like because he would do some stuff in the series where I'm like, oh, he can do that. Like I didn't yeah. even know he could do that. Like you know what I mean? It's so. Uh, I totally agree with you on that. They have. I've heard that complaint. I don't mind it because I think they make up for it on a story level. Like a lot. I know a lot of people like Don have complained about Hulk's development. Uh, for for me, I love the fact that. Uh, Infinity War sets up sets up the cliche of like Hulk's gonna get back at him at Thanos, you know, by getting his ass kicked in the beginning. And you know, any other person, any other creative mind, if they went the cliche route, they would have Hulk, you know, coming back at the end and fighting Thanos and making up for the fact he got his ass kicked. But what I really love is they they went character on that one. They went Hulk is scared to come out, and I love that. And then he oh, finds a way he finds a way to merge them. Which I love. He's like, hey, yeah. I found the brains and the brawn. Yeah. Like, I, mean, I get that I that's that. his character progression, but, and that's part of this movie and, and the unfortunate uh, character ownership part is this, I, I could, I don't mind that he merges because that is that is part of his evolution in the comic that he does reach that point of getting to a comfort zone of the big rage monster and the smart guy at the same time. But it takes years to get there. And you got, between Ragnarok, two Avengers movies, and this movie, I don't know if that's enough. Like, you're missing... Because you take the arc of this, like, you've got the great... You've got the great street-level movie that's this. Mm-hmm. He's your big gun waiting in the bullpen in Avengers. He... You're having... I, I don't mind the Black Widow... You know, the, the mind... The, the comfort level challenge that's happening there between am I just the big guy you bring out of the cage when you need me and you, you lull me back to sleep like I don't mind that that push and shove that is happening there a little bit I don't know if Ruffalo sells it all that great to me and then by the time and then of course he runs away and ends up in Ragnarok with we've said it Planet Hulk light and then he you know he's able to kind of turn it back on to be the end of Ragnarok to be your big gun when you need a big gun but then but then, yeah, I feel like, all right, you, his moment of going away and phasing himself out was was the Planet Hulk stuff. I didn't need it to happen in Endgame because you have this great big ending, and my goodness, you have the Incredible Hulk again, a Mountain Rushmore level Marvel hero, and you leave your biggest gun in in the, in the tool bench. And no, thank you, just a waste. I know he gets his one cute little snap at the end to bring all of his friends back. But fuck that, no, it's <laughs> the Hulk. A, oh, that is out there kicking ass. I want no, the cliches, man. No, no, that is to me that character is, moment. That is, no, that's a fantastic thing because. No what you, what you expected was for everyone was talking about all the fanboys and everything. We're talking about like, oh, we're gonna get Thanos versus Hulk part two. No, man, he. I still hope he loses Thanos versus Hulk part two. No, but I at I least think you have the Hulk showing up. But yeah, but 
Hulk does show up and he, I mean, talk about a complete change of character. Like he goes from this person who's controlling his anger to literally saving the universe. I just think in an unexpected way, unexpected his way. His parts in an end game with the diner and shit are fast forward bathroom break moments for me. No way. Boring as fuck. No, because there's lots of cool Ant-Man stuff in there. So it's <laughs> awesome. No. Fast forward. Tacos. Here you go, little man. No. <laughs> Eat your fucking tacos, Hulk. <laughs> and, uh, but do you know, like, do you think, like, over time that we've seen that the difference in the style of the Hulk himself, he's kind of the, when he, uh, Bruce Banner changes, like, the Hulk, the character design or the monster design is, is quite varied from Ed Norton to when Mark Ruffalo reappears as Bruce Banner slash Hulk in Avengers and like what did you think of the aesthetic kind of approach because not one thing we like to talk about here is the suits and the power sets of the different superheroes and and the different kind of because you know I'm a big nerd so I just like talking about suits and shit and, and powers and stuff but um what do you think of the way they changed the, the look of the Hulk from Incredible Hulk to Avengers and going on and I like the way he looks a bit more like Mark Ruffalo myself but what do you think yeah of- I think I think the effects that that showed up in 2012 for the Avengers look 800 times better than they do in the incredible hulk movie he just i don't know if it was bad you know mo- performance capture of whatever actor was because I, I don't know if it was norton in a suit out there trying to do it but um and i know they were you could clear you can tell they were inspired by is it dale keon you know that that artist from the 90s where the, the guy went on to impact and make pit like I, you could tell they were going for a certain look with the hulk but it's I, I think even the Ang Lee one looks better than the Louis Ledier one. And then the Ruffalo one is chef kiss perfect. Like the, whatever, whatever advancement of textures and effects, like the guy's got chest hair even in spots, like it, just the skin the quality and the stubble, like the skin quality. And of course, like to, to kind of bend and manipulate Ruffalo there, mm. it's perfect. Like the, what they did from 2012 on was gorgeous, but ooh, well, this yeah, one's a little I rough. Mean, Two things. Um, one is, you know, it's obviously a time thing too. I mean, 2008 to 2012, that's like, those are light years in terms of you know, the differences. You don't think about it, but yeah. it is, you know. Uh, let me let me go ahead and obviously take this with a grain of salt, but this is what it says on Wikipedia anyway. It says here that, says here that Norton and Roth filmed 2,500 takes of different movements the monsters would make, such as Hulk's thunderclaps. Phosphorescent face paint applied to the actors' faces and strobe lighting would help record the most subtle mannerisms into the computer. Others, including Cyril Raffaelli, provided motion capture for stunts and fights after the main actors had done video referencing. Mm. Um, now, got to go full Andy Circus and be there every time. Yeah, and this may this may be part of it too. I, I'm not trashing other effects houses, but we all know who the cream of the crop is. It's Industrial Light and Magic. They did mm. Ang Lee's Hulk. Leterrier went with Rhythm and Hughes as opposed to Industrial Light and Magic. So that might have something to do yeah. with, uh, you know, uh, something. Because uh, it. it doesn't even look like Norton. Mm, like no. the Ruffalo one, you like you look at him and go underneath all that, the mm. growth and push, that's that's Mark Ruffalo. And even even the Yang Lee one is enough of Eric Bana to yep. kind of be Eric Bana. But this know. one's like another, <laughs> like, and then the hairstyle, like the Tobey Maguire post spider-man three hair style like come on man like the must hair got some gel and product to lay it down put some pomade in there yeah come on by the way i I would like to 
get a grudge out of the way here while we're still talking about this. But uh, everyone out there who knows, uh, Don does not like trailers, okay? (laughs) So I have a Hulk-sized issue with Don. This is a, tell me, Vinny, tell me whose side you're on on this one. Oh, no. So so when the the first, when the first uh, Spider-Man No Way Home trailer Mm -hmm. came out, you know, and there was a, green goblin bomb and and then there's hello peter you know mm-hmm. all that stuff uh, you know it's a trailer it's released by the studio like this isn't a spoiler i sent you know don a picture of of dr octopus this said hello peter yeah. and so he so at that point shang chi had not been released yet but he, but he had seen a press screening of it yeah. so he sent me a text saying i hope you enjoy hulk and captain marvel in Shang-Chi. And I was like, <laughs> like I, I released you an image that is ubiquitous on the internet. You actually spoiled something for me. Like, so, so I have, when it comes to the Hulk, not only do I disagree with Don's opinions, but he also ruined the surprise of Hulk showing up in Shang-Chi. You're uh, welcome. For me. <laughs> you got to solve this one, Vinny. Where are you at here? Um, ooh. Uh, ooh. Because let's be honest, the Captain Marvel and Hulk thing is a very inconsequential scene. Sure, but I still, that would have been a nice surprise. That like I would have been more you pissed. Don't say. I, I would have been more pissed. <laughs> I would have been, but you have to blame the studio for releasing the do. Doc Ock stuff, not me. I do. But uh, but uh, I would have been more upset. Thankfully, you didn't do I, this. I think- I think the only difference is that uh, the image Will showed you was for promotional purposes, so it's free to use for the public, and it's in the domain. Whereas what the John, uh, what Don showed Will, yeah, was... I cut under the belt. I did. Yeah, <laughs> he kicked him Holy in the nose. Now, he kicked him. Yeah, in the nose. I would have been, been more upset because everyone knows my three favorite my three favorite characters are Ant Man, Hawkeye, and Falcon slash Captain America. Yeah, uh, I would have been more pissed if you revealed to me the Hawkeye ending of Black Widow, like I would have actually flown to Chicago and murdered you. Uh, <laughs> if you think that, that was, for me. That one, see, that's the, that ending wasn't a surprise to me either because like you knew, I mean, I don't know. I, I knew that Florence Pugh was going somewhere and where would that go? And doing the Widow thing and what Hawkeye's done, like, I was like, ooh, I, I, it was an ooh, nice touch, especially with Julia Louis-Dreyfus showing up. And that was supposed to be Julia Louis-Dreyfus' first appearance and not Falcon Winter Soldier stuff. But it was a nice moment, but it wasn't like a jaw-dropping surprise. But knowing, no, no. knowing you as a Hawkeye guy, yeah, that probably would have well, stopped. Because I, I knew I had seen set photos of Florence Pugh on the set of Hawkeye, so I knew exactly. she was going to be in it. But still, it's still nice yeah. to see that, you know. But anyway, you didn't do that, so you're not that much well, of it. But uh, speaking of endings there, uh, what did you think of the final climax of this movie like the the big showdown between incredible hulk we finally get to see abomination and uh, yeah. is, it, is it tim blake nelson was supposed to play um the, the, the leader book, right the leader yeah and we never got to see him um afterwards and what do you think of the culmination of this movie do you think it was like in comparison to like the follow-up with iron man we yeah. talked in the last episode with bengali that the coming the, the the last conclusion the fight sequence was a little short in comparison to the the massive build-up we got like you know it was like mm-hmm. five less maybe less than 10 minutes considering that we, we spend 40 something minutes or an hour on origin story so like what yeah. do you think of when you get a, a big creature feature you got two monsters you got to make them fight at some stage do you think it was yeah. a, a satisfactory uh satisfying conclusion to the movie for you i do i i think um 
that's where Ledia showed up and made just a dynamic looking fight scene mm. where, you know, the Harlem setting, the street setting, it, it, same thing like we've been saying during this episode here where you get, you know, you have a street level, street level action scene in a street level heroes movie where this didn't take place in Madison Square Garden or in a bigger arena or in some massive field where you can really tear shit up. It's, it's out there in the public where, especially post Iron Man, where this is, you put heroes out there for the world to see and it has ramifications and the nice part and i know this is hindsight 2020 but you know when when this gets yelled at later like you know look what fucking happened in harlem you know like we can't have that happen again you mm-hmm. need a harlem to happen for the world to kind of snap and wake up and contribute to what issues are the negative issues that will eventually surround these quote-unquote heroes so no I, I love the way the fight looks and is staged it's a great mono mono thing i love the use of the different um just the use of the props and scenery and, and the, the environment of the fight because same thing it's 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 a hulk movie and definitely different than a lou ferrigna hulk movie where maybe you'd like bend a few bars <laughs> break a few cardboard box crates but like the hulk like picking up a car splitting it in half and mashing <laughs> yeah. it down to be brass knuckles is bad ass <laughs> yeah. and then you know and the way the camera zooms to get to there where you're like starting from far away to see him pick up the car and then it ends right on his face just screaming at you i dug it you know and then obviously the fight ending the way it did the way will's talking about it and the way that the villain makes it out of this it's not a one and done bit you know crazy death scene and yeah i, I enjoyed the the potential of the leader being something down the road and like i and and the actor uh tim blake nelson's such a fun kind of guy to you know throw some sarcasm in there and if he were to get a maniacal bend to be the leader same thing with the character rights where that'd be a fun character to show up somewhere as a side as a side villain or a number two in in one of these movies since then that'd be cool especially now that we have smart hulk yet like that would be a fun little place to go so i I, i'll sign any petition you want to get tim blake (laughs) nelson back into the mcu and at the same time i'll sign whatever petition to let louis ledier shoot another action scene that was pretty damn cool yeah, I love the I love the buildup of them charging each other down the street. It's kind of it's got a good level of good energy to it. Um, I do like the fact that uh, it gets to the core of uh, the emotion of you know Hulk's about to choke this dude out, and mm-hmm. and Betty's like, no, no, don't do that, and he's like, oh, okay, the you know, that's a character humanity. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and that's that I like, um, and uh, he says Hulk smash, dude. So I, I love mean, that scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that that's the best thing. One of the best things about this movie is the the button scene on the end of the like the the Hulk smash. He's choking him out with the chain. You know, like all that sequence. I think it just kind of kind of builds up nicely throughout. The, it's like massive scope throughout the cityscape. And poor New York always gets it, and then it like yeah. runs through, runs through New York. And then right at the end, it's like you need a personal kind of twist to the story. Yeah. You put them one on one on a rooftop, and the only people that they really care about there's consequential to either of them is Thunderbolt Ross for Blomsky and then it's Bentley mm-hmm. Ross for uh, Bruce yeah. Banner and they're the boat, boat in the helicopter at the end. I like that there's some casualties too because like before the Hulk gets enters in there to kind of, you know, even the fight, Abomination is down there killing motherfuckers. Yeah. You know, like he's blasting cars, beating up the military, throwing people against walls. Like he's fucking shit up. Like it's not a Marvel thing. Where, I don't want to say it's a Marvel thing, but it, it's not a soft movie where he's just breaking a few buildings and walls of inconsequential this and inconsequential that. Or again, they're out in some natural space where no one can get hurt, but these two combatants, no, they're in the street where there's peril there. And yeah. I dug that. 
Um, I do like how Taika Waititi kind of rewrote a scene from this movie in Ragnarok. Um, and oh, played the it. Rainbow Bridge scene? Yeah, because like in this yeah. one, he jumps off the helicopter, becomes the Hulk when he comes down. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then in Thor Ragnarok, he comes out and he's like, I'm going to be the Hulk and he just falls. I do love that. I do love that. But uh, no, no, I, I, I definitely some compelling imagery in the final fight. Uh, we also get a very, 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 very brief cameo of the late Michael K. Williams, um, who I guess might have had a bigger role uh, because like Norton said he wrote the character um, because he loves um, uh, Omar from The Wire. Uh, but obviously, just in the movie, he has one of those, huh? And then he's done. So yeah. there must have been something else there. But uh, yeah, so it's kind of fun to see that. And then also there is more retroactive stuff. There's uh, the teacher from uh, Spider-Man, uh, Martin Starr. Right. It's one of the students who they confirmed later was him. Pizza, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Yep. That's a cool so, connection there. That's a fun little connection. It's kind of like the Iron Man 2 connection where the little kid is Peter Parker at the at the expo. Yeah. Um, I like that. I know it's is that been confirmed or is that just a fun conspiracy theory? No, it's it's confirmed by Feige I love on both. That. So I love that. it's pretty cool. Like it's nice nice building the, the density of your universe, you know. Yeah. Um so before we go to the break, do you want to say anything else about the Hulk or we go go to the break and we come back with what if and best and worst? Yeah, I'll do what if and best and worst. Awesome, awesome. So, um, all right, folks, this is Dark Side of the Moon, and um, see you after the break. Now, we're from our sponsors. Uh, welcome back from the break. This is Dark Side of the Moon. I'm still here with Don Shanahan and uh, Will Johnson. We're still talking Incredible Hulk. Before we went to the break, we broke down the movie. We gave you our thoughts from the from the villains to how he's talked about the tone, the stylistic changes from Marvel going on. But like the big question we really want to ask is the big question Marvel asks us constantly is what if? What if we were the directors of The Incredible Hulk? What would we have changed? The one thing we would have loved to have changed about The Incredible Hulk experience. So I'm going to give it to you, Will, because I asked Don the first question the first time around. So Will, what if you were the director of The Incredible Hulk? What would you change if you didn't have Ed Norton breathing down your throat? <laughs> yeah. <good question>. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure. Yeah, no pressure. <laughs> yeah. We're all about the softball um, questions here. <laughs> I, you know, I'm not a, well, because I, I want to separate it from hindsight. I want to separate it from what we ended up getting with the Hulk. I want to, yeah. I want to put myself in the time period of 2008 or 2009 or whatever. And, um, and, and look at it as an individual film in this universe. Um, if, if that was a choice, if I'm looking at it from when I saw it, I saw it on my birthday, uh, actually, or not my birthday, but right before my birthday, uh, in theaters. And um, I remember thinking, that was a great time. Uh, I don't know if I'd change anything, to be honest with you. I, I mean, no offense in here, motherfucker. Give me an answer. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I know your answer. I know your answer. No, no, no. You, I, would, you would take the first casting. You would go back and take the first casting choice of Ruffalo over Norton and probably even still make the same movie. But, but with Ruffalo. That's, a, that's a hindsight thing, though. And I don't want to do a hindsight because I have to go with the movie that's presented to me. 
Uh, I, I understand that there's a recast. It doesn't make me like Rhodey less in Iron Man that I know I like that Rhodey less. James Howard's such a cooler motherfucker uh, than Don he's, Cheeto. He's so much more like Robert Downey Jr. Oh, as well. They seem like they're actual yes. friends. Their chemistry is yes. way more natural. And Don's just like your uncle from down the street. He's, <laughs> he's also old. Don Cheadle, I know Don Cheadle's age so is great, but he's like 65 years old. <laughs> well, I'm not sure if you're bullshit. So anyway, uh, the, uh, <laughs> no, but uh, no, I, I, I honestly, I mean, I think it's a, a very competent film. It's great. Uh, you know, um, I enjoy it. I, I, I really can't. And, and it's not my place. Honestly, I, I hate to avoid the question, but this is someone's vision. I, it's not it's my place. You're avoiding the question. <laughs> no, it's just, it's, it's if there was a character beat I didn't like or a plot point I didn't like, but uh, in terms of how everything looks and, and everything goes, uh, I'm fine with it. I wouldn't make I wouldn't make any changes. Hmm. Put that question back to me. I, I admit the temptation of Ruffalo is there, even though I'm a Norton guy. Um, tonally, hmm. Liv Tyler, Liv Tyler is a question mark for me in the movie because she just has such, I mean, she's such a willowy presence as it is. I know she's kind of sort of played half of a tough her heroine in the Lord of the Rings movies, but let's be honest, she starts tough and then turns into a princess. And it, it's been giving very, like, her professional move now is a worried look. Like, <laughs> I'm not saying she's a classic damsel in distress, but she's not a quote-unquote strong female character. Yeah. I would have I would have gladly taken a little more meat to Betty. I know she's placed in a placed in situations that allow a little bit of 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 challenge and decision because it obviously is the career and livelihood and her father on one end and of course the man she loves that she's missing on the other. And I would have asked Liv to play those a little harder if I'm a director. Like, hey Liv, like I I get it. You have a great worried look and you can cry on command, but Give me something stronger. Berate your father harder. Berate Bruce a little harder. Like, go harder, Liv, is what I would tell you. I'm like, you got Edward Norton here. You got Tim Roth here. You got people who go hard. Um, I also probably would have made, I would have asked Ty Burrell to go a little harder too, like as the Doc Samson character. And (laughs) that's another planted hero we may never, we may never get. But like, I know he plays the, um, the disapproving boyfriend character and the older intellectual boyfriend, but I would have asked for somebody and something a little harder from Ty as well. I think another place where I would change it a little bit is um, two places left, I would say, is Craig Armstrong's music is okay. Okay. It's okay, but like I, I admit, I, and this is call me a nostalgia guy like, coming off the heels of something like Ghostbusters this past weekend where, you know, uh, Rob Simonson, you know, brings in a little bit of the old Elmer Bernstein noodly doodly twinkle a little a little, a little. A lot. but um but like Smash i like you in the face with it but when you but when you hear the old emma bernstein music you know the little the little the little strutting little dawdling music like that's ghostbusters and i know craig robinson gets like a half a second to drop a little lonely man theme in here to kind of be your echo from the old tv show because nicely this movie is not an origin story yet at the same time with through those little flashbacks and opening scenes like you can tell Norton is doing the Bixby light thing, you know, the same chair, the same setup, the same, like this could easily very well be the TV show brought to now, only you just play the present day as being the same thing that happens. Where I would have liked to see a little more nuance from Armstrong's score. And then the last thing is, 
if we're doing post-credit scenes, mm-hmm. that deleted scene from Incredible Hulk where he's, you know, that that hike out to the Arctic. Now, I don't care about the Captain America part at the end, but I <laughs> that's a really fucking cool scene when no, like instead of a bar in Tony Stark, you know, the, the at wits and because they, again, that's the Norton version of this I liked is that the the stress and and the the torture of what what he feels is inside him norton plays so much better than ruffalo ever could dream of doing and that's a very frankenstein thing too because the end of the frankenstein book he kind of is out in the wilderness Mm -hmm. searching for a wife uh, the monster so out in the arctic wilderness searching for a wife so it's kind of very frankenstein-esque i love i love that deleted scene of like you know ready to kill himself and at the end of the earth and and even the music of that deleted scene like fucking towers the moment like and then all of a sudden those eyes go green and it, nope i fucking still got you and like the hook is just wrapped around that man's soul as much as it is the dna in his body and to me that's that's the hulk man that, I that's, don't know, that's the tortured I, stuff i agree but i i the scene like, that's was, the end of my movie is that scene yeah. credits now whether I, it's what i don't need the captain america springboard that's always fun yeah. in there but yeah. yeah i but the scene where uh, this is where I like Ruffalo a little bit more in terms of humanity. Um, that scene in the first Avengers where he says, I fucking blew my head off and Hulk spit out the bullet. Like yeah. he sells, he sells that like yeah. with so much defeat in his eyes. Like, but imagine if that scene was like, cause that that's, he's referencing a deleted scene. We never got Imagine if it was in the movie. Yeah, no, but I, but I, I like, yeah, if it was in the movie, that would be great. But I, just the way that Ruffalo sells it with that, yeah. like feet in his eyes and his face, like Jesus, I, uh, see, I just I tap in emotionally more with Ruffalo. I, I just I, I, understand. Feel, I feel like I can connect with him more um, than I can in Norton. Uh, but uh. I digress. But yeah. what, what's your what if, Vinny? Um, my what if, if I was to look over it, is like I, I think I thought it was kind of stupid that the Hulk couldn't have sex. Like, well, <laughs> is that the reason why he's really the angry? The hot. I want to fuck her. Let's <laughs> go. <laughs> is that the reason why he's really angry the whole time? Is just because he can't have sex. He's got blue balls. I think you're right. <laughs> um, but no, uh, seriously, uh, I think if I was to look at it, is I would like to have seen a little bit less of the part in Brazil. I think, like, even though it was kind of cool, but I, I think he kind of... He could really get back into the movie a lot quicker because you kind of have an opening sequence origin story and then they slow the movie right down to okay this is where he's at and now and then you have all this unnecessary character development because like literally yeah the science the bottle factory the the plant search exactly the the texting with 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 samuel yeah i get you i take out the factory and then have the fact that he's communicating even though it's encrypted that they found the source of his communications and you can take out the entire bottle factory thing and then you have Emil Blonsky coming in about 10 15 minutes earlier into the movie mm-hmm. and then you can have more action and the movie then because you, you can't pick up a movie at 60 70 miles an hour and go oh by the way we're going to drop it down to 30 miles an hour for about 15 20 minutes and build a character it's like well, I thought we weren't going to build character that's the whole point of the open sequence origin story yeah so take out the bottles and then you put in okay his communication device was tapped or they have a, a like not an agent there or an asset and he gets found yeah. and I, I think you can have that and you can have a, a couple of more action sequences because of that you know i like that i like that you shave that bottle sequence i know it leads to a, a really cute stanley cameo but mm. you shave that bottle sequence down to just the, the reclusive scientist in an apartment looking for that cure and you accelerate the the hacking part of it that finds him yeah that would work really good yeah 
put those 15 minutes later into something else. Yeah. Mm. Which which Stanley cameo do you like better, this one or the one in Angley's Hulk with Lou Ferrigno? I like the, the it's the security guard one in the Angley one. I like this one because it's just silly, you know, yeah. and the cool old man and the circumstances <laughs> where like, like oh. did he like is there somebody out there who's got a little you know like very Woody Harrelson Venom like is there somebody out there who's tweaking some Hulk vibes at eighty whatever years old he would have been like it'd be cool. Yeah. And I love that they kill, they kill Stanley. Like they kill him in this cameo. Yeah. Pretty ballsy, you know. Yeah. yeah. I think I think as well if you use the time earlier in the movie, you might actually get to see a bit more character development with Tim Blake Nelson's character, um, the leader. So and then I'm, I'm always up for that because I love Tim Blake Nelson. I think he's brilliant, and um, I just think like that's what we we talk about a lot in the podcast is wasted resources or mishandled resources. And I thought Halloween Kills recently was a big example of it because you have a 90 minute uh, duration. You really have to hit those beats very promptly. Otherwise you're going to lose the interest or you're going to mismanage 10 minutes, 15 minutes. And you're going to have filler. When you have an action movie, there should be no filler. Everything should lead to action. And then the action mm -hmm. in turn should lead to more action with a little bit of character development in between because that's the whole point of the action movie, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, so uh, that's our what ifs and um, when you look back at the Hulk, uh, the Incredible Hulk experience, Don, I'll go with you first. What was your best and what was your worst of the Incredible Hulk? Like, of the whole thing, what do you think was your favorite and what was your least favorite yeah. of the whole thing? My best, that Harlem fight. That Harlem fight's so damn good. It, like I said, shot differently than other Marvel fights have been done. Done at a street level with with with, with collateral damage and some stakes and a and a villain that's been tuned up where you're like, man, he, this could be a this could be a beat down in a good way. And and like Will said, kind of an ending there where it, it doesn't go the way you think it does. It's a choke out, you know, choke out, tap out ending where this villain could come back. I like the way that played out. Love the location, love the stakes and the people, like I said. So yeah, that Harlem fight, because man, I, by that point, you know, I'm, you know it, obviously the dramatic entrance out of the helicopter is a, is a fun thing. And, mm -hmm. and then the trailers ruined that like crazy too. But um. Uh, but then, yeah, but just the, the, the car breast knuckles thing and, and all, all the pieces and parts of that very fluid physical fight that gets visceral in a hurry. Like, it earns is PG-13 right there. Mm. The worst, I'm not as hard on the bottle stuff, the bottle factory stuff as you are, but I'll go back to where I did before, like the Liv Tyler stuff. The, you know, I didn't know, like, the old man, the pizza place, some of that <laughs> saggy middle. Because if we're a man who's on a ticking clock trying to figure this out, I don't know if we're just meandering around old college. I, same thing. I know that gets us the Lou Ferrigno cameo, and I know it gets us the Martin Starr cameo. But the Betty stuff and the Doc Samson stuff, I could, I could care less about. It's, it's, it's done too soft. Yeah, that's the worst parts for me. It's, inconsequential. It's, yeah, inconsequential. It, like same thing as before with the what ifs. Like, it's okay to have Betty, but but just go harder. Make it more stressful. Make it more, more, make it more desperate than yeah. just. Come over to my house in the rain and we'll hug and then we can't have sex because yeah. yeah. i think she forgives him too quickly uh, that's something that really i agree me. yeah and, he, and agree. like i just like okay this guy ran away and ruined your life you have a perfectly stable relationship and straight away you're like hey dude do you want you want to fuck <laughs> you know what i mean yeah. like you know, yeah. straight away i just thought like yeah I'm, I'm kind of with you on betty on that i just think she was a bit weak sauce at times i think she could have really mm -hmm. gone a little bit harder on him and I think yeah. they could have used it in a completely different way if you just take out Ty Burrell's character. What do you think, Will? Best and worst? Um, I don't know. I, I it's it's tough to pick between all the action sequences because some of some of them are really. I mean, I like the university action sequence too. Daylight, yeah, it's very good. Um, yeah. um 
I can't I can't fault the action and I can't really fault too much. Vinny Graham motherfucker. Dumb Vinny. No, I just I don't know. I just I don't hate the movie and I don't uh, I mean I'm trying to think back now. If I actually did the assignment and rewatched it, maybe I would find something. Uh, you had one job. But, uh, I had one job. <laughs> Don didn't do it either, so no. it's time. still sitting in the fine china over here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm not a fan. Believe it or not, I like <laughs> I like cute callbacks to things. I like little jokes uh, about the universe. I don't like when it's too cute. Like, okay, so I know this is, might be nitpicking, but like. When he comes in with the purple pants, yeah, I'm kind of like, yeah, hey, that's a little too cheesy for me, you yeah. know. It's kind of like the line, and it's kind of like the the line in X Men where he's like, "What? What'd you expect, yellow spandex?" <laughs> you know, and it's kind of like, it's like, yeah. yeah, that's cute and all, but not yeah. here, not here. Yeah, no, it's kind of like it doesn't belong here. You know, you yeah, know, like, I, you know, it's like professional wrestling is a cheap pop, you know. Yeah, that's exactly. It. Yeah, right. exactly. Uh, yeah, I, I also wasn't a huge fan of the I can't have sex thing. I thought it was kind of a joke. Like, yeah. like I actually would have liked it if they took that a little seriously. They, they kind of play it as a little joke. Like, yeah, I can't get too excited, guys. Like, hey, it's Liv Tyler. But like, if they actually yeah. like dealt with that on a more adult level. Yeah, like, you'd risk it, you know, wouldn't you? Yeah. <laughs> like, what's, what's, what's it like if Liv Tyler right there? And you, can't, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. It, that is a lot of mcu criticism is that they're too snarky do you think she and wanted him to be that snarky do you think she wanted What's him that? to turn into the hulk while they're having sex well not that weak ass yeah. character. I don't want to, I don't <laughs> she's too soft again you know hulk i don't smash. want to uh, I, I actually kind of want the edgy girl who was like no go ahead turn that's the black widow that's the strong female character i want give me the, the, the <laughs> yeah. who's like no 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 no. come on over buddy. black widow's <laughs> like hook out hook out because <laughs> yeah, you know natasha's like oh yeah give me some of that green snake moan you know <laughs> green snake yeah moan. i know i uh <laughs> is that the name of the episode <laughs> <laughs> Take them on, Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't want to turn into uh, Brody from Mallrats and start talking about like what would happen and what would happen if the Hulk was in, was inside Liv Tyler, then turn into the Hulk. Like, you know, I don't want to do any of that. But uh, yeah. I don't know. I, I, I do think uh, you know there, there was some, there was some stuff. There was some stuff to mine there. You know, like. Uh, I like I like the cave sequence, you know, where he's confronting her. It's very King Kong esque. Yeah, I like that. I, I don't know. I just when I think when I think back on it, I, I'm going to say that the parts that are forgettable that I can't recall are probably the worst parts because, you know, to me, like if a movie has a lasting impact, whether you've seen it, rewatched it when you're supposed to or not, uh, the scenes that stick out are memorable and good, and the ones that don't are forgettable. And you know, obviously, I think at least a bad scene is memorable. Uh, you know, if it's forgettable, that's also a crime in itself. And yeah. uh, there's lots of this movie I don't remember. So may maybe that. I like. I feel like with a lot of MCU projects, I can remember every ounce of film. You know, my favorites. I can. I mean, Ant Man. I could quote. You know, off the top of my head. You know, Civil War. All the ones that have big Infinity War, Endgame. They all have. It's like Indiana Jones, where or Star Wars, where it's like you kind of understand every facet of this one. This one has blank spots. So. For that, it definitely is lacking in that department. 
Yeah, I, I think I'm kind of love the same lines as you. My favorite thing about the movie was the action sequences. I thought I like it really hit home in the big action sequences. Like, and uh, like when you're looking at an action movie, like if you have your three acts, you need nearly three massive action sequences. And this did that really well. I had the chase sequence in the favela. Even Tim Roth alluded to, "I'm ready for round three. You know. And then I, I love Tim Roth's like overconfidence going into the college scene. And I'm like, dude, he's mm-hmm. like, and General Ross is like, he's doing it. He, what is he doing? He's just flipping around. The Hulk hasn't even touched him yet. And as soon as the Hulk touches him, he like destroys him against the tree. And I just love that where it just shows like no matter how uh, uh, good we think the pinnacle of humanity is. In comparison to the Hulk, it might as well be an insect. And it kind of gave me that kind of feel where in that moment you see the real immensity of the Hulk strength in comparison to a human, even a human that's at the apex, like what Blomsky had. And um, that was kind of my favorite. Actually, like, like really, Blomsky's character progression was probably my favorite thing about the movie. Like, because even in the last sequence with him and Tim, Ble- uh, Tim Blake Nelson, uh, uh, Nielsen, sorry, sorry, Nelson. Um, the last sequence they shared together where he's like um what have you got there or something and he's like uh what you've got a little something in you already like, well, it, it, the two of them giant could be an abomination and even though that's a little bit on the nose i just kind of love that in the intensity of that sequence yeah. where and then he the little bit of blood trickles down onto uh tim blake nelson's head and he, his uh, head starts slightly morphing and this kind of big mm-hmm. smile comes on his face you know and then we kind of get the uh, abomination then like i just i loved the climax and the big the big moments of the movie, I think it was really successful. I just think in the lulls, you really felt the lulls. And with an action sequence, if you really feel the lulls in an action movie, I think the action yeah. movie didn't do its job correctly. I think that's my favorite, the action sequence. But when we had lulls, you really felt the lulls. And I just think it was a, a misuse of uh, resources, like we always say. And um, do you have anything else you want to say about the Incredible Hulk? We get the fuck out here. I'm good, man. I it for me, it's it's. And I know Universal is just holding on to it because it's a chance for them to make money. Same way Sony's holding on to it, it's a chance for to always have some Spider-Man cash. But there's still always going to be a lot of what it could have should have with this one because you know, Ruffalo, to his credit, in the in the movies and places he's got, even though if I don't like Professor Hulk, he's been given and granted a full arc that we would have never gotten in an Ang Lee film. We probably would have never gotten in the Louis Ledier film. So. I'm happy, hindsight, that he's gotten where he's gotten. Could it have been cool with Norton? Maybe. But um, we're, we're in a good place. He landed in good hands. It's still what it could have should have. Like, I, I still wish for that Hulk movie where he's the villain. Where it's, uh, how in the hell are we going to stop this guy? And everybody, and you throw everything in the kitchen sink with heroes at him to stop him. And that would have been cool. Because that, that's just pure rage, savage Hulk. And there's, there's enough snippets of, like... Two out of three fights in this movie is Savage Hulk, or enough of it. And I guess I know he's the you know the hero taking on the other equally savage thing in the third fight. But there's still the woulda coulda showed up for me or where I want that. I just want that character to snap. And, uh, and Mark Ruffalo is going to make sure that he never does, or when he does. And if it's in the She-Hulk show or something further, I'll be ready for that day. That's Bruce, sure. Bruce Banner always seems to attract really talented actors like Bruce Bixby, isn't it? Is yeah. It? And you have. Eric Bana, or is it Bill Bixby? Sorry, Eric Bana, and then you have mm-hmm. Ed Norton and Mark Ruffalo. It just shows you the strength of the character of Bruce Banner, yeah. as much as like the lore of uh, the lore of the Incredible Hulk himself, because he's such a well-known uh, superhero. But like 
the Bruce Banner aspect of the character is he's a modern day Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde and it just totally. you know and it just shows you that there is a draw there to the actual human human side of this character because you always get top level actors that are cast in the mm. role and it's always been that way since like as far back as the Lou Ferrigno show like so it just shows you that th this character has a lot more meat on his bones outside of the monster elements so mm. I think going forward Professor Hulk is interesting but I like to see that conflict. I don't like to see the conjointness or the symbiosis of Bruce Banner and the yeah. Hulk. They should always be a conflict because this should always be his cross to bear, a weapon that he always has to aim it in a certain way at the right time. Otherwise, it'll, it'll be turned on his friends. And that's why, yeah. but like what you said, like I thought the culmination for the Hulk was going to be he'd be the next big bad or something after Thanos because you just keep building and building and yeah. building as soon as it gets to that kind of critical mass. He's out of control. Mm -hmm. It kind of thing is we're going to have to kill him before he kills yeah. everybody else. And I think that's and like I, I love that Hulkbuster fight in Ultron. Like yeah. that, that's a cool sequence. Go to sleep. To go to sleep. Go like to sleep. That. Go to sleep. <laughs> yeah. I love that sequence. So, will do you have anything else to say before we get the fuck out here, dude? Well, well, you close it, man. Uh, no, my main thing is that I was defending this movie to those 12 year olds, you know, when I took them <laughs> to the journals, you know, don't, I, 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 my, my message is if anything, don't throw this movie out because it a doesn't meet up to the standards of what would become the standard MCU. Yeah. Um, don't throw it away because of Edward Norton, Judge you know, don't contemporaries and his peers, not by what came after, you know? Yeah. Don't, I, I would, you know, I, I would say always give this one another shot. I think most people. The, the consensus I have is when people rewatch it, you know, uh, they go, oh, yeah, that wasn't as bad as I thought it was, you know, right. and and I mean, some of that may be expectations. You might be thinking, oh, I heard it's so bad that it's, oh, it's not that bad. Yeah. I actually think it's, it's a good film. So yeah, I, I, I have lowered expectations. Yeah. I mean, do I think mm -hmm. it's like, I mean, to me, the MCU has, I think there's 26 films now. I mean, I, I only, there's only like, one I actually dislike, and two that I'm like, eh. Uh, I would I wouldn't put it in the eh, but I wouldn't put it up with the highs either. So no. it's a it's a it's a nice little issue you pick up off the rack. You can read it, kind of digest it, forget about it, move on to the next thing. Uh, but don't, by all means, don't throw it away because uh, it does have some value. Yeah, I think yeah. it's an interesting movie where the talking points around it afterward. Are nearly more interesting than talking points of the actual movie itself at times like the what ifs the ed norton the mark ruffalo's the the change in tone and style of the movie and the hulk himself going onwards like so i think it's kind of one of those movies that has left so many questions afterwards and nearly the aftermath of the movie itself has more interest than the movie to a lot of people you know um mm -hmm. but um so we get the fuck out here dudes yeah man all right cool yeah wow all right, food, uh, foods. It was nice having you. And um, so, all right, I'm your host, Vincent Green. No John Tui is MIA. We got Carmack in the back. That was Don Shanahan and Will Johnson. And that was the Incredible Hulk. So, see you next time, folks. And we're out. Peace, motherfuckers.